Well, we've been in this study through Acts for, I think this is around the 20th week. And we've been studying the different four ministers in the, in the Scripture. Uh, we've talked about Paul, we've talked about Peter, we've talked about Philip, and we've talked about Stephen. And, and as we've worked through uh, each of their ministries and each of their uh, message and mission, uh, we are inspired and we are encouraged into our own ministry and our own method. And today, Pastor Mike, who's ready to preach, I'm telling you what, he hasn't preached in three weeks, and he's, he's, he's loaded up, so just brace yourself. Uh, <clears throat> He's going to come and he's going to, he's going to do the same thing, but he's going to do it with three guys in one sermon. It's going to be pretty awesome. So as Mike comes today, um, would you just ask the Lord's Spirit to, to bless him and to open your heart and prepare yourself for what the Lord's going to do? Mike is going to actually read the scripture as part of his sermon this morning, so we're going to yield that to him. So I'm going to ask that you now would come before the Lord with me to pray for our pastor. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are excited and encouraged and filled up, Lord, with, with love and joy for who you are and for what you've been doing uh, through this time we've spent in Acts, Lord. We are so encouraged and blessed by how you have worked through these men in the Scripture, Lord. And today, as Pastor Mike comes to share about uh, several others, Lord, we ask that your Spirit would flow through him, that he would be your man today, as he is, God, that he would be uh, preaching your word boldly and mightily without any reservation whatsoever, Lord. And we ask that we would be receptive to that, Lord, that your work would be done in our lives. Help us to, to learn uh, more and more each week as we study your scripture, as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Lord, as Mike comes, Father, put your hand upon him. May his words be your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for that, Keith. Good morning. I uh, remember the old man, my preaching professor, Ron Sleeth, he was critiquing one of my classmates, Houston Green, one day, and he says, Houston, he says, that sermon was, it was like I was in the presence of Moses. And everybody was like, wow, we heard it. We didn't think it was that good. And he says, no, seriously, Houston, it was like, like I was with Moses. It seemed like it was 40 years long and you were just wandering around in the wilderness, you know? So... <laughs> <laughs> so I hope this isn't like that because uh, what Keith said is true. Never in my nine years as a senior pastor at Marion have there been three consecutive Sundays where I haven't been in the pulpit either one of those. So I've got one loaded in the uh, and ready to go. And uh, the good news about that was uh, you have such good speakers here. Keith is such a phenomenal preacher. And then, of course, I thought our ministry intern uh, did a great uh, job. And so as I, well, I did. I did. She did. She did. She was great cute too. So there you go. Um, so as we look at, as we go now to, to the, towards the end of this, this uh, 20 weeks on, on, on the ministers in, in Acts, we've, we've spent a lot of time on these four big ministers, and now we're also going to spend some time just today and next week on some very important ministers, and, and then uh, some lesser ministers. Pastor Keith and I are going to, to cast our vision out here uh, in, in a few weeks. Now, there was an old, uh, long ago, there was a guy named Gus Schrader that wrote for the Gazette. Do you remember him, the sports guy? All right, there you go. All the guys raise their hands. All right, good. Gus Schrader, every once in a while, when he wanted to handle more than one thing in a column, 
would title his column, It's All Hash Today. Meaning, not that there was just a bunch of junk he was throwing in there, but that he didn't have one thing that was going to take up the whole time. Now, you might at the end of this think that I had one thing that could have taken the whole time, but I'm going to put three things in this sermon. So if you haven't snapped in, here we go. Let's talk about these three very important ministers, starting with John Mark. John Mark is the one that gifts us with the gospel of Mark later in his life. Later in his life. Let's look at where it starts. Acts chapter 13, verses 13 and 14 is our scripture. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Persia and Pamphylia, where John left them, get that, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Persia, they went to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogues and sat down. And so Paul and, 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 and his colleagues were all out teaching, but where is John Mark? John Mark left them. We don't know where he went. We know he went to Jerusalem. We don't know why. Maybe he got homesick for his mom. Maybe he had stuff to attend there. Maybe the rigors of it were too much for him. Maybe he had an illness that he didn't want to pass on to everyone else. We don't know why he left the mission. We just know that he did leave the mission. And Paul later accuses him, not of leaving for a good reason, but Paul accuses him of lacking courage and commitment. You know, i got to explain that. You know, in the days that Paul and Barnabas and Silas and John Mark and Timothy were out preaching, it took courage and commitment to be a preacher. It wasn't like today where you can park outside, walk into a nice building, have air conditioning, all that kind of stuff, and listen to a person preach. Back then, preachers were getting thrown in jail. Some of them were getting beaten. Some of them were being killed. There was persecution all around. Started way back at the, at the resurrection of Jesus, which you're going to hear from. It's kind of our parting voice as, as Paula sings to you. But, but there was persecution. So if you didn't have incredible courage and incredible commitment, maybe you couldn't stick with the mission. There might be something to that, but I got this uh, text. As, I want to show you this. It says, as a young man, John Mark, oh, throw that next slide up. Here's, as a young man, John Mark didn't really finish any. Got friends like that? You have friends like that? You, are you like that sometime in your own life? John Mark just didn't finish anything. I, I had a guy in my congregation named Wally McKinney a long time ago. He knows it's true, so I'm not throwing him under the bus or anything like that. But when you drive into Wally's driveway, he had this shed. He was building this beautiful shed. It was 9 by 12. He had it all framed up, concrete pad, had the, had the walls up, and had the, the, the runners, the rafters up there. For the five years I was his pastor, that's what it looked like. If you went up his driveway... You'd get up there, and he had this, uh, I know, this machine. It was some sort of a, I don't know, auger or something like that. He was welding back together, and he was half done. When you'd go into his garage, he had a half-restored 65 Chevy. And over here, he had a half-built table. Because Wally, like John Mark, just could start stuff, but he had a tar- hard time finishing things. Now, we know what it's like. There's a lot of us that have unfinished things in our lives, don't we? I mean, I've talked to friends and folks that say, I've got a lot of things going on in my life. I've got a, a friend that I really have a lot of stuff I'd like to say, or I've got this son that I really have some unfinished business. We, we know what it's like not, not to finish things. But sometimes it really casts upon us. Let's take a look at this, this next scripture, Acts chapter 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, important to this story, Barnabas, who we'll talk about in just a moment, 
is uh, John Mark's cousin. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the time where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them. He's still mad that John Mark left him a long time ago. He deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, Barnabas and Paul, that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, Paul refuses to take John Mark. This John Mark was a good guy. He was a witness to Jesus. He'd seen Jesus, but he couldn't finish things. He, he didn't stick to things, and Paul's so frustrated saying, I'm just not taking him with me. I do not trust him to finish this with me. And Barnabas says, wait, he's changed. He's grown. He's grown a lot, Paul. Let's take him with us. And their headbutting gets so big, it starts to cause a little bit of a rift in the church. So Paul and Silas go this way. Barnabas and John Mark go that way. Now, here's the cool and awesome thing about our God. is God can take our difficulties and sometimes our divisions and make great things happen out of them. Because the outcome was not the splitting of the church. In fact, it was the multiplication of the church. Because rather than having one mission where they were all together, growing as they could, they actually went to two places and had two fantastic ministries going that grew the church exponentially. The outcome was good. But the story's not in there. Let's look at chapter uh, 2 Timothy 4.11. In 2 Timothy 4.11, this is sometime later, this is Paul writing, and he's writing to the believers, and he says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark, that we know as John Mark, and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. See, so John Mark went from someone that couldn't get anything done to someone that Paul wanted very much. And for some reason, Paul restores John Mark. He offers him forgiveness. He offers him redemption, and there's no details given to, to what changed other than what is obvious to us. And we have to hear this, Christians. People grow and change. It is a very interesting thing to me that we believe that our God can change anything. And yet so often we say, well, that's just the way they're going to be about people. How can a great God that can change everything not be able to change people? In some way, obviously, the truth of the matter is, our great God did change John Mark, and he came from someone that couldn't finish anything to the guy who wrote the first gospel. It's not the first in order, but the earliest gospel, which is the gospel of Mark, the first story, because his hesitancy was gone. Now, of course, John Mark goes on to proclaim the gospel out in Alexandria, and when he gets to Alexandria, which was a heartbeat of the pagans, he started to preach in there. They put a rope around his neck. And they drug him around town till he was dead. That is courage and commitment. So let's take a look at the, the ministry of John Mark in its total. John Mark, as a minister, was at first hesitant to commit. But his message then grew to show that God can work through our conflicts to the greater good. His mission was that people can grow and change. And his method, simply, is that we must learn 
and grow from our mistakes. All in the Christian context. That's our first minister, John Mark. Let's go on. Let's take a look at Barnabas. Barnabas' story is found throughout Acts, but let's look specifically at Acts chapter 4, 36 and following. That's where we first find Barnabas. Notice there, his real name's not Barnabas. Did you know that? You've been calling him a nickname all his life, all your life. You've been calling him Barnabas, but his name is Joseph. Joseph, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. He, he had this, um, oh, I'm going to come back to that one. He had this huge opportunity. He had this, this field and he sold it. And what a great encouragement it was to give the money to someone else. Because, you know, the next story in Scripture is very discouraging. Do you know what follows Barnabas giving his field all the money? Does anybody know? It's Ananias and Sapphira withholding their money. So you have this story of, of Barnabas encouraging the disciples by giving them all of his funds to, 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 followed by a, a story of someone that is quite discouraging and, and they both lose their lives in that story. But let's go on to that next scripture. We see Barnabas later on in, in Acts chapter 9 where it says this. He, before I say it, I want to tell you the context. Acts chapter 9 is where Paul gets saved. Remember Paul, Saul? He was out hunting down Christians. He was on the road to Damascus to track down some Christians, wrap them up in chains, bring them back to Jerusalem so they could be punished, flogged, crucified, whatever felt his fancy and whatever the fancy of the Sadducees was at the time. So Saul is out there pursuing Christians. God changes his life, spins him all the way around. And then this. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. See, Barnabas risked his life to welcome Paul in the community. He's not sure that Paul has completely changed other than what God's put in his heart. Couldn't it be that Paul's running this as a sham? Couldn't it be, just like the disciples said, that, that Paul is just trying to trick everyone into this? But Barnabas risked his life to welcome him into the community. And i got to tell you this. It is so important what Barnabas does because new Christians always need advocates within the community of faith. Because this is what I know about new Christians, having been one myself at one point in my life. We come tarnished. We come tarnished, and sometimes when you're becoming a new Christian, you have a bad reputation, or you have a whole bunch of missteps in your past life. You have things that have bruised you and others, and it even is still maybe hard for you to believe that you've been redeemed and restored. It might be hard for the people, certainly hard for the people to understand. I've had people, you know, that knew me from way back in the back. I've had someone argue with one of my children that it was my brother who was the pastor of this church, not me, because they knew me back then. That's a true story. That's a true story. I always thought I was a relatively good guy, but here's what I, but, but, but what I, what I want to mean, tell you is this, is that the tragic thing about Christianity, the tragic news about Christianity sometimes is that we view those on the outside as our enemy. We view those that are tarnished as if they won't ever be able to ch- change. Here's the facts of the matter. Non-Christians are not our enemies. 
They never have been, and they should never be. They are the work to which we are called. I think about my friends. I think about some of the, the guys I've known throughout the years. I think about some of the members of my family that have not yet received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. They're not my enemies. What they need is someone in our family, me or someone else, or maybe you to come alongside them and, 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 and stand and encourage them and, and advocate them and support them as they come into this very different... You know, churches, we're a kooky bunch. You know, we're kooky. We don't do what everything everyone else does. And someone needs encouragement and help to come into this kind of environment and understand what's going on. And this is what Barnabas was always about, was making sure that there was no one left on the outside because no one on the inside was bringing them in. Do you hear me? Barnabas' deal was always making sure there was no one left on the outside because no one on the inside was willing to bring them in. That's got to be heart and soul to our ministry. Let's look at Barnabas as a minister. Barnabas as a minister is Joseph who becomes Barnabas uh, because of his action. He's known as the sons of encouragement. His message is this. The people of God need encouragement. Vicki and Keith and uh, the prayer team and I received your prayer cards last week. You know, on the first Sunday of the month, if you're a visitor here, we, we, we fill prayer cards out and you can put them in the offering envelope or, or the offering basket anytime. But we take specific time. And while, while Diane and Nicole played this uh, anthem last week, we took time to fill out prayer cards. And as I read through those prayer cards, and every week when we do communion, it takes me an hour or so to just pray through for each one of them that's written down because they're so important and precious to us. But here's what I know. From the prayer cards. The people of God need encouragement. Because in that pile of blue prayer cards that I walked through the other day, there are people here that are struggling with addiction. There are people here that are struggling with relationship breakup. There are a number of people here dealing with uh, significant, profound health issues. There are people here that are dealing with employment issues and the whole gamut uh, of the human experience. And in the words of my bishop, I want to say to you, be encouraged. I know we need encouragement. There are people all around us that need encouragement here and now and, and for always. And part of our, the message of, of, of Barnabas is that the people of God, that's you and me, need encouragement. So let's be encouraging. Third, the mission of, of, of Barnabas is to break the cycle of criticism and to find opportunities to encourage. And if you're not writing anything down today, write that down. Break this cycle of criticism. Find opportunities to encourage. You see, in the world we live in today, our tendency is to criticize, not encourage. Have you noticed that? You watch television. Do you see what's going on out there? The criticism is, is out there all the time. Rather than building people up, we're trying to tear people down. Rather than affirming people for who they are and what they're doing, we're trying to reduce them to something much less than who they are and who they can be. And it's most disappointing. And it's most disappointing to me that there, and you might not know this, but there's even criticism within the church of Jesus. Have you heard this? Do you know that pastors sometimes criticize each other? Do you know that sometimes lay people criticize each other? Do you know that sometimes lay people actually criticize pastors? I'm going to get a little bit real and raw here for a moment. From time to time, we get love mail at the church. And I'm always open and willing to read about critiques, especially when you accompany them with your name. But we get love mail. We got one not so long ago. It was about five pages long, and they didn't sign their name to it. and So it gives it no weight, except for the five minutes I'm going to spend on it right here, I guess. 
But if you're going to send love mail that tells us, well, first and foremost, you're going to send love mail and not sign it, you send it to the big dog. Don't send it to my team. Rough, rough, okay? If, if it's one of y'all or one of you watching on the internet, because that's not fair, because that's not their role. But here's the thing. There are people that will criticize that we tell too many stories and we don't read enough scripture, that we read too much scripture, we say too much, we talk too much about Jesus, we try to drive for decisions too much. There are people that I've got, I've got this love mail that sent to me and says, look, all you care about, Mike, is building this great big church so you can be this great big guy that had a great big church. And I said, that's never been about that. If it was about that, I'd done it seven years ago. My goodness sake, we've been at this 10 years, maybe 50 years if you've been in the church long enough. The goal is not about building a big church. The goal is about reaching the unsaved in Mary. And if you miss that, you haven't been reading anything or paying attention. Plus, I know this too. As soon as I build a church, I got to go. So it is. So, so there's criticism in here inside and outside the church all the time. And I get so tired of, of, of I hear pastors, and, and Keith's heard this too, and Vicky's heard this too, of pastors, and Stan Wearson probably used to share with you this every once in a while. We have this summer, summer games university that we spend a lot of time on every year. And we don't, we don't care about the time we spend on it. What we care about is when we get there, we are driving people, children, students, young adults, youth, to understand the atoning blood, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to help them understand what that means and how it can be the pivotable, pivotable place in their life upon which they can stand the rest of their life. And yet, year after year, I get letters of complaint and people telling me, look, man, that's not even a good camp. You're not helping those kids. Well, here's what I got to tell you. I got lots of pastors out here in the, in the Iowa conference. I got lots of friends out here that, are, that, that have been through summer games that are living the Christian life. And you can criticize those kind of things if you want to, but you ought to spend some time helping build this up. There's a lot of ways to discourage people in the world. And some of us are very, very good at it. I know I am. I know some of you might be too. But the church of Jesus Christ needs encouragement. You see, in the church, we need a lot more people praying than we need picking on things. You know? We need a lot more people helping with things than heckling us. We need a lot more people that are willing to lift people up than lash out at things. Amen? Can I get a sound in here? All right. Because the question is then that we have to move toward is how do we speak? I can only do things about what I put out. I can't ever do anything about what comes to me. We can only talk about what we put out. And are we putting out positive, uplifting, encouraging, building up things? Or do we spend our whole self trying to tear down people, the kingdom of God, and the people in the world? Find opportunities to encourage people. Find opportunities to encourage people to help grow the kingdom alongside with us. That's Barnabas' mission. Let's talk about Barnabas' method. Almost got to preaching there for a second. Barnabas' method is this. Position yourself to encourage others. We are rarely in a situation, and I know this to be true, we are rarely in a situation where there isn't someone else there that needs encouragement. We're rarely in a situation where someone else doesn't need encouragement. I went into Casey's down the street here earlier this week, and the lady at the Casey's 
whatever they call it, cash register, she was slammed. There was a line of people buying donuts and coffee and, and, and beer and cigs and bread and whatever. They were lined up. She was slammed. She's the only one in there right then. I don't know where the other person was. She was the only one in there. And this one guy comes back to the coffee corner, if you know the downtown Casey's at all, comes back to the coffee counter, and he looks at her, and there's like, really, literally 10 or 12 people standing in line. He says, ain't no coffee in here. What's going on? It's 9.30 in the morning. Man, if it had been bear hunting, I'd have taken him down. But it wasn't, so I, so I didn't. So, so he says this, and I'm like, you know, and of course, I want coffee too, so it kind of affected me, but I didn't say anything about it. But I, I watched this lady. She was about fourth in line, and she had parcels of stuff. And she said, "Hun," to the lady behind the counter, how do you make coffee here? And she says, well, you just do this, this, this. And the lady goes over there. She gets these big bun coffee makers. She slams a bunch of filters with coffee in there, turns the water on it, starts running, gets this wet rag and starts whopping. And the whole time she's doing this, this lady keeps selling lottery tickets or whatever she's doing at Casey's, but the whole time she's wiping the counter down, she's saying, man, you are doing such a good job for how busy it is in here. I can't believe how you've kept your, you know, your attitude up and stuff like that. And the countenance on the lady that was running the, 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 the cash register at Casey's in downtown Marion became like one that was just filled with love. There is always encouragement to do. There is always encouragement to say. Encouragement is one of the most effective ways we can help another person by what we talk, by what we think, and what we do. And that's what Barnabas is all about. Let's go to Silas. Silas' uh, story is found in Acts chapter 16 through uh, 20 through and following. We're, we're going to talk really quickly about Silas. Um, this story has to do with Silas and Paul being in jail. It makes a lot more sense if you know they're in jail, all right, when I start this. Then they brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. You know, I used to be a prison chaplain. That wasn't what went on usually in the middle of the night. Okay? They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he threw his sword, threw his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. I mean, he knew that, it, but Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. See, they didn't leave. The, the guard knew that if, if the prisoners escaped on him, he was going to have to kill himself because if he didn't kill himself, the Romans would too. But here's where we come in to, to, to Silas. Silas, who was you know, one of Paul's traveling, compar uh, traveling uh, part companions, as a minister, Silas was the writing secretary for Paul and then later for Peter. He goes under the name Silvanus. Uh, because Silas knew that as, as a good minister, you need to do what you're good at. His message was pretty simple. Take advantage of the opportunities to serve God. See, 
Here he is in prison, and he starts singing hymns and spiritual songs because he knew, first of all, the other prisoners needed encouragement, but other prisoners need the Lord, and maybe even, as what happened in that story, the jailer himself would come to Christ. Your opportunity to do ministry for Christ is always where you're standing, right there. See, our opportunities mean that we have to be alert to, to, to those things. We have to be willing to serve God in every moment, and we have to be alert to what might present itself. You guys know this. How many of you have ever bought a house in here? Not in the church, but in the town. Okay, so about half of you are homeless. All right, good. Um, <laughs> Pastor Youth and Mission, about half the homeless people in here. All right, so a lot of us have bought a house in here. <laughs> a, lot of us, a lot of us have homes, and here's what we know about that is when you are looking for a home that's for sale, when you want to buy a home, you see every house for sale sign in town, right? When you are not looking for a house that's for sale, you hardly notice that they're there. That's been my experience. I hardly even see them. I know that they're for sale all the time. But as Christians, if we're looking for opportunities, they're always there. If we're looking for opportunities to serve God, they're always present right where we're at. That's the, the message of Silas. Now, Silas' mission is to not be encouraged by setbacks. A lot of you have been watching the Olympics this week and last week and so on and so forth. And you've seen story after story of athlete that, you know, had an injury or got sick or had some sort of personal tra- trauma or drawback. And, and they had these huge setbacks, but those that prevailed, those that didn't let their setbacks pushed them down, persevered, and, and were able to, to gain the kind of the Olympic glory. The, the mission of, of Silas is to make sure we don't get encouraged, discouraged by setbacks. And in the pews around you, there are setbacks. Okay? There are setbacks in the pews all around you all the time. And the method of Silas is this, is that partnerships are an effective part of ministry. Life and ministry is just simply better together. I remember years and years ago a story on the news. It was of the Special Olympics. Special Olympics 100-yard dash. And they were running this 100-yard dash somewhere in the U.S. And as the kids went down and the young adults that are running that 100-yard dash, they were running as fast as they could. They were doing their thing just like anyone running a 100-yard dash. But at about the 80-yard mark, one of the kids fell down. And different than what you saw in the Olympics and different than what you see in the culture around us oftentimes, the person that was in the front, rather than going faster, stopped. And then all the rest of the kids stopped. And they went back to him. And they picked him up. And they held hands and said, we're going to be better if we finish together. And they walked through the finish line together. See, people of God... We are simply better together. Together, for Christ's sake, we can grow like John Mark to be from hesitant to courageous. Together, like Barnabas, and for Christ's sake, we can take this critical world and take it into an encouraging place. Together, in the spirit of Silas the minister, we can serve God right where we are, claiming every single circumstance as an opportunity for ministry. Those three very important ministers draw us to some very important messages and missions. Let's be about those things. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord our God, we ask your blessing.
on us today. We know that you were already present with us, Lord, but we need strength and encouragement. We need encouragement in the midst of our setbacks, and we need partners on this life and ministry. So let us partner with each other to change this community and the world for the glory of your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.